0: All right, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, we want to, uh, I'll read in verse number 1 down through verse number 7 or verse number 18, actually verse number 19. I know we read verses 1 through uh, 10 or 11 this morning, but we will re-read that and we'll read down through verse number 19. The Bible says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. I I want to just ask you a question. What do you think they were doing at the temple? What do you think was their purpose as the apostles, Peter and John? Just them two, as far as we know. Uh, It doesn't, there's nothing in the in the context to indicate that the church was meeting there like they did at times, like in Acts chapter 2. So why are they there? Maybe they went to pray? I think probably this hour of prayer was probably more of a Jewish thing uh, that, that was uh, you know, held over from the, what the, the schedule of the events at the temple. But to be honest with you, I think, I think Peter, this is my personal opinion, that Peter and John went in there in order to witness to those people that would be gathered for prayer. And that wasn't an unusual thing later because Paul did the same thing, Paul and Barnabas. In other words, they went out looking for people. Verse 2, And a certain lame man, a man lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And, then, uh, and when Peter saw it, notice that, he saw a group of people. You see that? He answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in His name hath made this man strong, whom ye, whom ye see and know. Notice that. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want not, I wot that ye through ig- that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers but those things which God before had showed by the, by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, as we look at the gospel this evening, As we look at the scripture, Lord, we just ask you to meet with us, that your grace would be with us, that you would give us one heart, one mind to focus upon what your word says, that we would learn, Lord, I, I have no idea what you might want to tell your people, each person with a different set of experiences, a different uh, set of burdens that they carry, different things on each person's mind, but Lord, I trust that your spirit can speak to them, can encourage them, can help them, can teach them. But Lord, I ask you to do it. And uh, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen your people, especially, Lord, as Choice Hills Baptist Church seeks to uh, restart and uh, get involved in corporate evangelism, telling people about Jesus. Lord, make make us as individuals and make our church a church that is zealous for telling people about the gospel that's zealous and burdened that the gospel might be heard, that we would care about people's eternal life. Lord, give us us each a heart like that. Lord, that we would, that we, I pray that you give me a heart like that, that I would be burdened and I would care when I see people. I would not just see someone who maybe is annoying me on the road or someone who is just another person, but someone who... Uh, that, that you love someone that you desire to save. And Lord, that that desire and that burden would bubble up and would, uh, would result in us being willing to tell them of Jesus and to, uh, and to let them know the gospel and to stand with you. Lord, help us. Help our church. Help us, Lord, as we look at your word tonight, in Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. So we covered verses 1 through 11 this morning, and um, what I want to do is, I'll be honest with you, this, uh, this message is not going to be very um, <laughs> well organized. So basically, I have three, three things I want to cover, and they're kind of hodgepodge, and they don't really relate. But the first thing I want to see is The miracle. And the reason I want to look at the miracles, the miracle here is that these days, if you pay any attention to, you know, to some of you probably, probably listen to preachers. You probably are familiar with preachers, maybe from social media or sermons or radio or things like that. And, and if you listen to that, and, and for instance, if you, if you, how many of you look at Facebook at some, some time or another, you actually look at it. I mean, most of you look, have a Facebook account. Most of you are looking at it. And those of you who are under 25 are like, that's what old people look at now, right? Nobody looks at Facebook. But for, for the majority of us who are over that age, that's something we look at. You know, if you have friends that are religious, you know, you have friends in other churches and friends that are believers in Christ and they follow things, that all goes into their algorithm. And you're going to start to see you're going to start to see religious material coming through your feed. And that's true of TikTok, that's true of Instagram, that's true of and all these. You're going to see that stuff come through your feed, and you're going to see what people are saying. And I, I, I'm the same way. I see it, and uh, you know, I like things with preachers and Scripture and stuff like that. And sometimes stuff comes in, and it's, it's stuff that I don't believe. And one thing I see a lot of is talk about deliverance ministries. How many of you have ever heard of that term, deliverance ministry? Or oftentimes, um, you know, it'll, it'll be related to, it'll be deliverance from drugs. There's this one apostle. She's an apostle. She is an apostle uh, who actually, I saw a video, and she, she's Australian, I believe, but she, she actually came to Greenville and held one of her crusades and somewhere. And uh, she's an apostle, and You know, you watch the videos and she has a deliverance ministry and people come in and they're, you know, possessed of a devil or they're drug addicted or they have a porn addiction or they have this or they have that. And then she does, you know, she'll talk to them and, you know. So what does the Bible say about that, though? What does the Bible say about about miracles and things like that? We've already covered that to some degree, but I want us to look at this in that context because there's a lot of stuff that's out there. There's a lot of stuff this out there. And we see in this case that a man who is lame, who couldn't walk, Peter, I should say, Jesus healed the man. Jesus healed the man. If you said Peter healed the man, Peter probably would have said, oh, 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 just hold on just a second, just a second. I didn't heal anybody. <laughs> that's probably what Peter would have said. So I just want to do a little bit of an overview and cover some passages of Scripture that deal, first of all, with miracles. Now, to listen to everybody talk, you would think that these kinds of miracles are all over the Bible, that they're all over the book of Acts. Of course, they are in the Gospels a lot because of the nature of the ministry of Christ. But as you go into the book of Acts, the first thing I want us to see is that even though we see this in Acts chapter 3, And even though in Acts 2, verse 43, if you'll note from this morning, the Bible says that many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So we know that there was a lot of of miracles and signs done by the apostles after Christ went back to heaven. We know that's true. But you don't see that in the book of Acts. You see miracles kind of here and there, but people would make you to believe that it's everywhere and it's really not. The book of Acts contains relatively few instances of miracles. Did you know that? It's really just a handful. You can probably count the number of miracles on one, maybe one and a half hands of all the miracles in the book of Acts. And that covers a huge length of time. What do you see in the book of Acts, though? On on practically every page. You know what you see? The gospel. You see those people who did those miracles. You see them giving the gospel. That is the emphasis of the book of Acts. And this is no exception, this example here. Second thing I want you to see about miracles, and look at chapter 3, verse 15. We just read it. And it's also in chapter 4. We'll see in just a minute, but I'll give you the, I'll give you the principle. <clears throat> Signs and miracles were almost exclusively done among unbelievers. Because, we, as we've already seen in, in the book of Mark, that the signs and the miracles were given to confirm the word being spoken. All right? That's the key. That's why it's called a sign. It's a sign. That is, it's a token that makes something else valid. That's what a sign is. And signs and miracles were almost always done among unbelievers because of, this, because of that purpose. The preacher goes out and he's preaching about Jesus and especially among the Jews, which the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, require a sign. In other words, they're not likely because of the history of the Jews and the way their faith is built. Remember, you think of the Red Sea and you think of all the things that God did in the wilderness and, and all that God did in the book of Joshua. That is the spiritual history of Israel. Does everybody understand that? That's their faith. That's, their faith is built upon those scriptures that talk about those signs. So you get to the New Testament... And that's what they're expecting. They're not going to just believe somebody because somebody has a message. They had to have a sign to show that it was comparable to something like Moses. And they said almost that very thing to Jesus. That's one reason why Jesus gave the signs. <clears throat> so in that context, they, that when the apostles went out and preached, they had, God gave them signs to follow. And what you also see is as time goes on and it moves from the Jews to the Gentiles later on the book of Acts, those signs start to dwindle. <clears throat> what you don't see is having church meetings where you have healing, healing meetings, healing revivals at churches where the, the preacher is going to just bring one person after another, after another, after another in the church to heal them in front of everybody. So it's a big hoopla. That's not what you see. I just challenge, you know, all this stuff you see on the internet with people that claim to be able to heal and restoration ministries and healing ministries and all that. Why don't they go into the public? Why don't they go to where where people are? To the panhandler who's actually high on meth at that moment. Why don't they go to the hospital, Joseph? Do you ever see any healers come into the hospital? Never. You don't ever see it. Why don't they go to the public? But instead, it's always in their own context where they can tightly control who is put forth in front of the people and they can, they can control the history of that person and what happens to that person after the fact. So it's, there's nobody really knows what's, what's happening. And then in our, as I said this morning, in our internet age, somebody can just do a TikTok video of something for 15 seconds. What's the TikTok limit now? Somebody tell me. What is it, Five minutes. Five. It's five. It's pretty long. Well, in five minutes, there's a lot you can show, but there's a whole lot you can't show, too. Right. But see, they they can because it's in the in their church or in their meeting, they can control who's in and who's out. That's not what we find here. Peter and John are going into a public place. And they're doing a miracle in front of everyone. In chapter three, verse 15, notice notice. Uh, how it's used, this miracle is used as a sign. Chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says this, And killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. You see this? Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him, hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And then in down in verse number, uh, verse number 12, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power of holiness we made this man to walk? And then he talks about Jesus down in verse 15 and 16. Why is he saying this? He's saying, this man is healed because of Jesus. What is that doing? What it's doing is, He's, he's not drawing attention to the miracle. He's, draw, he's using the miracle to draw attention to the person of Christ, who, of course, we know in the context here, that's only a couple months old. Jesus, the cross. <clears throat> they know about Jesus here. Just like it, that we're, not, we're just a few days removed from Pentecost, which we've already studied. So he uses the miracle to draw attention and says, Do you know why this man is whole? He's whole because through the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The one who, is, who died, you killed, and he's risen again from the dead. He healed this man. Not us. Jesus did. And he pivots from that to the gospel. You see? His message was not the healing, healing and the deliverance ministry. His message was the gospel. He's using the miracle to get to and confirm the gospel. Listen, the gospel is the message. And a lot of these deliverance ministries and that kind of stuff that you see are a distraction from the gospel because it, draws, it puts emphasis upon the physical rather than the spiritual. It puts emphasis on the need to be delivered from a temporal problem without emphasis upon the soul and the need to be saved from sin. And I know from the, on the mission field, and I was talking to Sam uh, this morning, and you know, he's, from, he's from Pakistan, and I know in Cambodia, that was a big problem. You couldn't get anybody to listen to you about the gospel, but you mentioned healing. Oh, they're there. You know why? Because the healing focused their mind on the temporal, on the body, on money, on, on something like that instead of on the real problem. But what you see here is Peter's just using this as a sign to the Jews to pivot to the gospel, which is the real thing. Again, the gospel is the main event. Number three, on miracles. Miracles in the Bible, I, let, let me read one more on that point. Look at chapter 4 if you would, because it's, he does it again in chapter 4 when he's being uh, examined by the uh, council. Chapter 4, verse 12. We know this, right? Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What name is he talking about? Go up to verse 10. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised, God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And he immediately then pivots to salvation. You see this? You see that? He's not spending a lot lot of time talking about how that Jesus has power to heal people. Everybody should come to be healed. No, 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 no. He's just using it to get to the gospel. To get those people to understand that without Christ, they're going to perish. God's going to judge them. And they need need, uh, remission of sins, forgiveness of sin. Number three, look at chapter 3, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and, what's the next word? Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. Look at, look at verse 16. And, by, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given, this, given him this. What's the next two words? Perfect soundness. Here's what we see, and, and I just use, use those two as an illustration to illustrate and represent a lot of other passages we could look at for time. We won't look at all at them all. But here's the principle. Miracles in the Scripture were instantaneous and complete. When you walked out, you were clean. You weren't getting better. You were better. And you were completely better. And that happened just like that. It, there, and, and here's the thing. The Lord... Oftentimes when we get sick and we go to the doctor, and some of you are dealing with that right now, and you get sick and go to the doctor, and you pray and you ask God to heal you, right? Right, Brother Mark? That's what you're asking. I heard you on, on, uh, at the prayer breakfast asking for heal, God to heal your wife, just like I've asked for my own wife. We ask for that, and we understand that sometimes you know, God has the power to heal on, I- immediately. And Brother Mark actually prayed that very thing at the prayer breakfast, that God would just heal his wife. And I've prayed that for my wife. God, heal, heal her, just in a moment, heal her. Do you believe God can do that? Do you really do you believe it enough to pray it? <laughs> I want to believe it. <laughs> and I think there are times that I believe that God God could, if that was his desire, he could, heal, he could heal my wife and heal other people like that. I believe that he I believe he does that. But in the scripture, when you see a sign. There are no means. What I mean by means? We ask God to heal people, but sometimes God uses means to heal people. In other words, a doctor. And that's fine. That's fine. But that's not a sign. A sign is instant. And there are no means between God, God commanding it and it happening. There's no, like, doctor. There's no doctor visit. There's no medicine. It just God heals them at that moment. That's a, a hallmark of a sign a sign or a miracle. All right, number four. Miracles were verifiable. Miracles were verifiable. And you'll see that in just a minute. But I'll just hasten to the next one, and then we're going to look at an example to show it. Number five. Miracles were most often public. There were a few exceptions. There are a few exceptions that were intentional. But most of the time, miracles, we already saw that when the miracles happened, the apostles did not go... You know, into their they didn't have a you know a big meeting that they advertised on Facebook and Instagram and they were live streaming on YouTube and you know inviting everybody and you know selling the ads and all that stuff. No, 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 no. They went into a public place and they did the miracles publicly, which matches the purpose we saw above, which is to be assigned to unbelievers. Listen, if the miracles are a sign to the unbelievers, then why are you going to do them in the church? I mean, we already believe in Jesus. We already believe He's true. But if they're assigned to unbelievers, which is what they are, then go out there and prove it. But out there you have skeptics. Out there you have people that don't believe and They just might check up on these people you bring in front of the crowd. That's why you don't see it. It's just, listen, it's not a thing. It's not a thing, is it, David? No, it's not. No, anywhere. No, I have never seen, literally, on the mission field, in America, we've traveled a lot of places, we've ministered with a lot of churches, I have literally never seen someone that that claimed to have the power to heal others do it in public. Not one time. But in the Scripture, that's what you find. Jesus did it like that, the apostles did it like that. Number six, There was no ambiguity as to the source of the miracle. In other words, there was no blurring lines as to who had the power. Peter absolutely says it clearly. Look at chapter 3, verse number number 12. He says it plainly. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? See, he knew the people were looking at him like maybe, I mean, this guy, maybe he, he might be something else. And immediate, the moment Peter understood that, Paul did the same thing later. He said, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. And then in verse 16, we already read, he said, it is only by Jesus Christ, of, Jesus of Nazareth, that this man stands here before you whole. We have no power at all. There is no ambiguity as to who is doing the miracle. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. We already read it, but I'll read it again. Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. No glory. Listen, Peter is not using it, is not using it to sell a prayer rug or a prayer shawl or or a book. He's He's saying, I have no power. Jesus has all the... Po- now, I know all the TV preachers, they say that same thing, but then on, after, after the conclusion of the broadcast, they're going to have, you know, 10 minutes of paid programming or whatever, you know. See, and there is a difference, though, if you notice, there's a difference to what, how Peter healed when, when he did it in chapter 3 and the way Jesus did it. You know what, there's, you know what the difference is? When Jesus healed someone... He did it in such a way that everybody knew that he did it, right? He would lay his hands on them, or he would, he would say, uh, "Wilt thou be made clean? And he says, I will. And, or he says, rise up and walk, and the man rises up and walks. Jesus does not shift the glory to someone else. No, he accepts it, because he, it was by his own power he did it. Peter, not so. <laughs> Peter says, Jesus did this. We didn't do anything. Jesus did it. The same Jesus you crucified, he's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he did. He did what you just saw, this miracle. Now look at John chapter 9, if you would. Why am I going through this? I'm going through this because we should be we should be intelligent when it comes to what the Scripture says on this, so that this these kinds of things don't don't trick us and deceive us. As as you know, how many of you have ever heard of Greg Locke? I know a few hands. Huh? Who said what? I, I couldn't hear what you said. Not the current one. <laughs> Not the current one. Well, he used, to be, he used to be an independent Baptist, similar to us. In fact, he, pre, he preached at Tabernacle Baptist Church. And now he's doing an interview with Benny Hinn. In, Benny Hinn is interviewing him because now he has a deliverance ministry. And what I'm telling you here is fits all the criteria that I just described. But you know what? People are flocking. People are flocking. I, I could go into details about him personally, but, but the point I'm making is I'm not talking about him personally. What I'm talking about is, is that we should be intelligent enough in the Scripture to recognize, hey, hold on. It sounds big and, and exciting and sensational, but it is something not consistent with the scriptural the scriptural practice here. I see this in the Bible, and then I see that. These aren't the same. These are not the same. See, that's, that's why the Lord wants us to be knowledgeable in this. John 9. I mentioned it this morning, but the man that Jesus healed, who was born blind, verse 1 says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from, from his birth. And, of course, they, they have some conversation about that. Verse seven, or uh, verse uh, verse six, rather. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpreted sent. Interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Notice instantaneous. Notice complete. This was not in the church. This was not among the disciples. It was in public. Now, verse 8. Now, this is... I'm giving you a, one example to represent other examples so that you can see what I'm saying. Verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind. Notice that. And they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he, but he said, I am he. See that? Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he explains it. And then verse 13 says, They brought to the Pharisees him that before time was blind. And he explains it. What do you see here, though? And then, of course, the Pharisees examine it. Do the Pharisees believe in Christ? Do they like Christ? No. Are they looking for a reason to discount (laughs) the the healing of this blind man? Yes. They're actually looking for a reason to say Jesus is a fake. They're actually looking for a reason. And having examined the man, it's fake. Uh, to, to, To find he's fake, they find he's real. In fact, it's so much, look what they do. <clears throat> Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. You see how they're, they're searching, they're investigating and received his sight until they had called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. And of course they did that because they were afraid. They knew what had happened. So here's what you have. (laughs) In the Lord's healing ministry, when he heals this blind man, he does it publicly. He does it to a stranger, not to someone that was pre-prepared. And he does it in a way that is instantaneous. It's complete. And then he does it in a way that, what I was saying before, it, that was verifiable. Because when you see in verse 8, the neighbors saw it. And the, the, the people that had seen him and knew that he had been blind saw it. That is, listen, that is so powerful. That is so significant. In Acts chapter 3 that we read this morning, we also saw that same fact because there were people that had seen this man begging for for probably years before that at the gate of the temple. They knew the man who asked alms. They knew who he was. was, The Bible says in chapter 4 he was over 40 years old. He was well established. They knew who he was as they came in and went out of the temple. See, miracles in the Bible are such that they can be verified. God doesn't just say, He doesn't just post a, a thing on Instagram or Facebook and says, or, or YouTube and says, hey, here's three minutes of a of a miracle and you can't find the FBI and the CIA can't find a guy upon whom this supposedly happened. You never, listen, you never hear the end of the story in that, do you? You never hear the end of the story with any of these people. It doesn't matter because as soon as they hit the door, they disappear into the shadows. Do they not? That's not what you see here. It's done publicly, and it's done among those that knew him best so that this miracle was verified. The Lord doesn't expect us to believe just, just be naive and believe anything. The Lord said, no, examine. And they did. And they called his parents. And they said, oh, now, you're, this is your son. Now, he was really blind, right? Are you saying he was really blind? There was no question what had happened. Now, Going back to Acts 3, and we'll cover one more thing and be done. These are the principles that you see over and over in the miracles in the Bible. And all we're saying is, if someone says a miracle happens, we shouldn't be like, ah, we don't believe in miracles. That's stupid. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. (laughs) You don't believe God can do things that are supernatural? Well pretty much the basis of everything we believe is dependent upon that truth, all right? So don't say something dumb like, we don't believe God does miracles. But they must be consistent with the Scripture, right? That's all we're saying. It needs to be consistent with the Scripture. Now, go back to Acts 3, what does Peter preach about? You know, in these deliverance ministries, which I mentioned before, the emphasis is not on the gospel. But what is Peter's emphasis? It's similar to chapter 2. Verse 13 says, The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, wherever we are witnesses. Notice that. You killed Jesus. You are guilty of sin. This is Peter's sermon now. This is what he's saying. He lays blame for Christ's crucifixion at their feet. And you know what? That was true, immediately true of the Jews, because they are the ones who were yelling, Crucify him! Crucify him! Right? Right? They were guilty of the blood of Christ, immediately guilty. But you know what? We are all guilty of the blood of Christ, by extension. You know why? Why was Christ on that cross? Why was it necessary for the Son of God to bleed and die on a cross? You know why? Miss Pam, because of your sin. Not his, yours. Will, because of your sin. Are yours. David, your sin. Our sin required that He die on the bloody cross. So in some way, we are guilty like they are. In some measure, we are also guilty. Our sin was that wicked that the only solution, the only remedy was the blood of Christ shed. That's why when we get saved, we trust in His blood that was shed for us. That's the only hope. Notice is also, he speaks in verse 16 or verse uh, 15 of Christ's resurrection. All right, now we're in the gospel, right? What's the gospel? That Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. He said, we're witnesses. Notice in verse 15, he says, whereof we are witnesses. Again, like in chapter two, he says, we're witnesses of his resurrection. He really is alive. We saw him. This is Peter's sermon. But then we see this. Verse 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He had so fulfilled. Notice, He tells them that what happened to Jesus Christ was foretold and was in God's plan. It was God's salvation plan. That's what people don't understand. God provided salvation. God provided the way for us to be saved from our sin. We did not do it. God provided it. And he had provided it from the very beginning. And lastly, the context of his message. What is he getting at? What is his aim? What is he shooting for? What is the main core theme of his message? What is he talking about? Verse 19. He's, t- he's given the gospel. He's told all the facts of the gospel, the truths of what Christ did and why the, they're guilty. And then he says, this is he's you, you say drawing the net. Here's what he's doing he's summing it up. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Notice that your sins may be blotted out. In Acts chapter 3, verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized in the, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. Of sins. Notice the context of his message, the goal and the aim, what his his final plea to them has to do with sin, not with deliverance ministry or anything like that. That was just a means to get to that. This is the core of the message in the book of Acts. The gospel and how it saves us, the gospel, Christ saves us through the gospel from Sin. You know, our greatest problem, you all know this, our greatest problem is not some problem in our life. It's not an illness, although those tend to consume our mind, don't they? Our greatest problem is not an illness. Our greatest problem is not, you know, a problem with a relationship or a money problem or a work problem. Our greatest problem that we have is the fact that we are not right with God because of our sin. That's the greatest problem we've got. That's it. Every other problem is temporal, temporary. Every other problem is temporary. Therefore, you see in the book of Acts, in the various sermons, Peter and Paul and the others concentrate on that problem. Jesus came to save us from sin. Sin. All right, let's pray.